this is WCBN FM Ann Arbor, and I am Ed Sanders. Happy to be here in Party Time USA. Ask about my philosophy, baby. Yeah. Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today, so happy to have Ryan Walsh here in the studio. Ryan, welcome to WCBN. Thanks, T. It's <laughs> awesome to be here and awesome to be back in Ann Arbor. It's, well, it's, it's great to see you. And um, have you ever been down to the station before in your times in Ann Arbor? No, no or... I'm ashamed to say I have not, but I've listened. Yeah. Oh. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you. And so, what a delight to be on here now. Oh, well, it's so it's so it's great to see you. Great, we've got your um, your your book, reckonings. Your book is out, just uh, just like hot off the press, basically, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, with Baobab Press, and we're going to be talking about reckonings today, um, and maybe a little bit about Nelp too, and about poems, your yeah. your writing life, um. And maybe Pittsburgh too. Sure. Who knows? Because that's uh, where you've just uh, you've just landed most recently. Yeah, right? it's all fair game. It's all fair. okay. Well, right. <laughs> oh, and I should say we're taping the program eleventh of July, twenty nineteen. Um, and Ryan, you came to town. Um, did you? Are you breezing through this time, or how? Because this is a lucky, you know, uh, meet up here. Yeah, it's station. a great coincidence. Um, yeah, we're just. My wife and I are in town to visit uh, friends, Nels and Jess. Oh, who, shout know, out to and, yeah, yeah, Nels and Jess and Emily. Out in Albion. Uh, <laughs> and we're seeing Greg Brown at the Ark tonight. Um, so we'd love to do that. That'll be great. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. All right. Without further ado, what I'll do is I'll read Ryan's bio from Reckonings. And we'll go from there. Ryan Walsh was born and raised in West Virginia. He's the author of Reckonings, Baobab Press 2019, and two chapbooks, Reckoner 2015 and The Sinks, winner of the 2010 Mississippi Valley Poetry Chapbook Contest. He earned an MFA from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and a BA from Warren Wilson College, and he has received grants and scholarships from the Vermont Arts Council and Breadloaf Writers Conference. He has taught creative writing and literature at Albion College, University of Michigan, University of Wisconsin-Madison, and at the Champlain College Young Writers Conference. After working at Vermont Studio Center for many years, where he directed the Writing Residencies Program, he now lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. With Katie. Shout out to Katie, too. <laughs> oh, wait, Ryan, where is our... Oh, she, oh, she did oh, the cover art. Oh, the, yeah, the let's... Book. Can we yeah. talk about it? Yeah, so the book I'm is sure. beautiful. It's like a... It's, it's a beautiful book to hold in one's hands. So, yeah, t- tell us about... Um, what, <clears throat> tell us about the gorgeous cover. 
just that it's a happy coincidence, really, of, uh, you know, when you work with a, a small press, as most of us as poets do. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness uh, for small press. There, there's the, <laughs> the blessing and advantage, right, of having... Um, Sometimes some collaborative hand in mm. the way things turn out, and I was really blessed to work with the folks at Baobab, um, and we went back and forth on a lot of art that they had in mind, and they were they seemed all great. Um, I was very excited about a number of options, but they were asking me too, since I'd been at the Studio Center for so long, if I knew you know contemporary artists whose work spoke to me, and I sent them um, links to several people's uh, work. And when they saw some of Katie's paintings, without knowing, obviously that that we're married, um, they said, "Yes, this is this is the one. If you can get permission to use something by this person, we would love uh, to do this, and we think that it speaks to the work." And I said, "Oh, great! I, I think I can ask permission at dinner tonight." So. That's I'll get great. back to you soon. That's so great. <laughs> and does Katie have a website? Uh, you know, I, she doesn't currently. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, but that's that's okay. Um, but this painting, The Night We Didn't See, happens to be one that um, I got to watch her build up and create in her studio in Vermont um, over several sessions and then um, wrote an ekphrastic poem to go along with it. Um, so that was... In, in our early courting days, uh, a really nice a treat. Oh, that's so that's so romantic. A bit of a bit of romance here on Living Writers today. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Ryan. Um, so how how did it come about? Like the 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 making of Reckonings. Um, mm-hmm. One of your chapbooks um, makes up so, like a few of the poems are pulled from this mm-hmm. this earlier chapbook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so how did this manuscript come to be? And how did you find the small press to to have this the the magic happened here. Yeah, I, in some ways, uh, it, it's the work of about ten years of of writing and gathering poems. Um, I had a few different, uh, I guess, little series in mind and, and works that kind of glommed together and, and had a kinship. Um, and so, yeah, the two earlier chapbooks are both almost entirely in here within another um, series of poems about the zinc factory in Spelter, West Virginia, a town I grew up in, um, which was all newer work that I, that I wrote to round out the, the collection. Um, but yeah, it just felt right that the, uh, the, you know, what I, what I think of as the West Virginia poems, um, that were all in the sinks, um, had some companion piece that was more of a kind of documentary, uh, research-based um, series that really examined um, the town I grew up in, although briefly, uh, but that had a long-lasting legacy with my family for a couple generations. Um, and then the the Reckoner chapbook uh, was really a different, uh, kind of a departure um, where I wanted to explore writing about uh, kind of the current technological moment and connections and friendship and thinking about social media uh, and just, you know, trying to tap into some of that through poetry if I could. And But there it felt like there were connections, clear connections. Like, how did you know there was this piece, the Spelter West Virginia piece, that could be the part... Hmm. Um, because that feels like the the connective tissue, like the 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 whole, really somehow. Yeah, wow. That's, but maybe that's because I haven't, I yeah. didn't have the two chapbooks in my hand. I hadn't, you know. Yeah, yeah This yeah. is what I came no, to it's, first. It's, it's interesting because I've had um, other folks mention this and, and and really bring attention to those Spelter poems, which I think there's only five or six in the book that that go to the the factory and the life of the town. Um, but as my my really wonderful editor is a Baobab, uh, shout out to Laura Weatherington. Friend of the show. Know. Yeah. <laughs> 
um, Christine Kelly and uh, Danilo, who was working there. Um, it's uh, it's a great team, and they really helped me see things I never would have seen, which I think is what, what all you can hope for. I think from that process uh, of seeing poems that you know I I knew in some uh, slightly biographical way had no connection to uh, that town, but but really you know to a reader. Yeah, they could because they were still about um, maybe loss or displacement or about uh, the natural world and people coming together um, with that in, in different ways. So, um, yeah, I guess in a, in, I can totally. Uh, so those threads, see they those were able to point together. them out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and how this all came to be, you know, I, I sent this around as, as one does um, when it, first book and, you know, entering contests and all this. But. Um, a few friends who, who I really admire and, and look to in this world of, of writing and publishing um, said that if you can really just get in with a press that you admire, um, you know, that's that's a build a relationship and have a really lasting thing and, and not um, worry about contests so much, um, though those are really awesome and, and wonderful opportunities. Uh, so it's, it's wonderful to have a press. Um, they've really just launched this um, line, uh, this series of uh, Red Ochre editions and had only done one previous book of poetry, uh, but it was wonderful. Uh, I was really uh, blown away by it. Um, so shout out to Allison um, Pitney Davis and her collection. Um, it, it was I, I trusted them, and having known Laura and taught with her um, at NELP, uh, I thought, yes, let's let's do this. Let's do this. And so, is that Ryan? Is that why you? Did, so did you approach Baobab and? And is that because of taking on, like, seriously, mm-hmm. with, with the advice of, of people? Oh, yeah, that admire, absolutely. That uh, you actually approach them because you're like, this is a press that I feel aligned with, believe in the work. Yeah, well, I will say Laura Weatherington had reached out to say, hey, you know, I, I think you have a book, right? Like, we'd love to see it, and told me about the press. Um, and it was out, you know, simultaneously to many places all at once um, over the course of a, a little over a year. But um, what really, uh, you know, sold me on, on working with them was knowing Laura and trusting her, but then knowing that Christine Kelly, who started the press, has run a really wonderful bookstore in Reno, Nevada for many years called Sundance Books and Music. And so it really knows that side of, of things. Um, and I thought, oh, yeah, a book, a, a, a genuine bookseller, bookstore lover who is really, um, you know, making things work with a press now as well. Um, that's that sounds like a great fit. So I was all in. And after so after that started, did you um, how much did it change, Ryan? Like what like you said, mm-hmm. you were able to see things in a different way. Is that when the sections started or yeah, maybe we could take a. A look. Sure. I mean, one, the, one thing that like was str- really exciting was was the first thing Laura wanted was to see not just the manuscript I'd sent her, but then all of the ephemera, um, the kind of detritus. What are the other poems you wrote during this period that you didn't include or that you had at one time included, but but took out for some reason? Right. And you know, ultimately, you know, I, I thought, well, I I took them out for good reason, and and I did. You know, so many of them stayed out for permanently, but. Um, it was nice to have the conversation and realize that there ended up being three or four poems that they helped pull back in and could see the connective tissue. I wrote a few new poems um, for the collection to round it out last summer, um, actually at Bear River. Oh, uh, so another Michigan connection. Yes. Um, 
despite having not been here in many years, but uh, it really it was a really wonderful time there. Um, and so I, I liked the challenge of, of rounding out things a little bit with a couple new poems, too. And how interesting that, like, I, I unusual. I, I don't know that I've ever heard um, editors asking for more poems. Yeah, right. For, you know? <laughs> It's more yeah. like fending sometimes some of the poets off. <laughs> yeah, um, and I and I'm I'm a, kind of a minimalist in myself, so I think um, no, no, I distilled this down. I tried to cut away all the, you know, the pieces that I didn't see fitting. But um, it, you know, and they were always open to to having me um, make the decision in each mm-hmm. case. But they really wanted uh, me to hear what they were seeing, and it was great to to hear that and realize like. Well, you know, I'm I'm just one reader, probably the worst reader of my work. So, yeah, I hear what the three of you are saying. Let's do this. So, and inspired some new poems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's never a bad thing. In the so at the very beginning of the book, you have in memory of David Budbill, friend and guide. Mm, yeah. Do you know Do you know his work? Is David he with Budbill? Copper Canyon Press? I feel like I've read. Yes, yeah, several his poems. several of his uh, later collections okay. um, came out through Copper Canyon. Um, he, he's a great poet and playwright uh, and, and man of many talents who passed away a few years ago. He was a good friend, welcomed me to Vermont when I first moved there in, in 2004. And uh, yeah, just someone who I've always really admired in terms of being um, very much a working poet. And uh, he never, uh, not that <laughs> people in the university work very hard, I know, <laughs> um, but he, he was never affiliated with the university and, and made things work um, through visits to pretty pretty much anybody and everybody who wanted to hear poetry, um, built a wonderful house on some land, had had a huge and, and luscious garden um, with his wife, who's also a painter, and uh, yeah, he's, he meant a lot to me, um, both personally and, and on the page. And with and when you say when you say guide, too, like that's a lovely thing mm. to say. That's also a big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've always felt that that's what uh, writers do for each other. You know, whether we know each other uh, in person or through letters or, or other means, um, I feel like even if I had never known David, um, his work, um, especially Judavine, which is a book of many sketches of individual, like their poems, but it's been turned into a play, had a very successful run. Um, you really get a glimpse of a town. And I thought a lot about that as I um, thought about the voices to bring into some of these Spelter poems. Excellent. Let's take a short break, Ryan. It's so good to see you here today. Um, and thanks for everyone joining, listening. Um, thanks to Gina for engineering today behind the glass here. We've got Ryan Walsh today in the studio. His book of poems, Reckonings, out with Baobub Press. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers, and we'll be back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. Today on the program, Ryan Walsh um, is here in the studio. His book of poems out with Beobo Press, Reckonings. Um, I'm T. Hetzel, and we've got Gina behind the glass. So glad uh, you've tuned in. You're with us today. Ryan, thanks for picking the songs for today's program. Oh, what a treat to be asked. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Come in, poet and DJ, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, can you... Why this one? Oh, well, I... Well, for one, I've listened to the National uh, for the past decade plus, and they've just always been in the background while I'm, you know, writing or reading, uh, doing chores around the house. But um, this song, you know, yeah, I think ghosts and rivers <laughs> show up again and again in my work. And I think that's also the idea of, of ghosts. Um, is relevant to all of us who've grown up in factory towns across the Rust Belt and not, you know, I'm from Appalachia, but, um, I think it's a, a common theme, right. Of seeing boarded up empty storefronts, abandoned factories. Um, even in Pittsburgh where I live now, there's a lot of that. So I think this, I don't know, the song, the repetition of it, um, and the sort of, uh, even tempered, um, sound to it. I don't know. They all, they all speak to me. And, and it also feels like there's this sense of um, some foreboding intention within, like mm-hmm. hauntedness within the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think they're they're really good at that. <laughs> and, <laughs> their sound. And I feel like that's even that's mm-hmm. very present in reckonings, especially with a lot of how the river and water images and how mm-hmm. rivers are part of this. Sometimes they're leading away yeah. to something yeah. better. Sometimes they're they're poisoned. Yeah. Uh, already and so that's one of it seems like the reckonings <laughs> not to overuse the, your title here ryan but yeah, well, well, that, um, that's yeah. part of why i was drawn to the title i mean i think that we um you know the world is beautiful and precious and we're still all here in it uh but we do such dire things daily um to the natural world and it's only a matter of time before well we see these things happening now with greater storms and uh climate change and all kinds of havoc but um, yeah, I think there's a lot of reckonings coming. Some of them uh, can be exciting. Um, you know, like the Me Too mov- movement is a kind of reckoning. Yes. Um, yeah. That's been really good to see and witness. But, um, you know, there are others that, that floods and, you know, things that are harder to deal with and that don't have uh, that moral component, I guess. Right. And well, except maybe what we have done or the people before us mm-hmm. to the world for and to the land, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, which maybe we'll hear about, um, and some of the. Well, actually, we've got a, we've got Ghost Factory. Sure. Yeah. Okay. There, there's that word. <laughs> uh, yeah. This, this is. Um, I'll just read it. Ghost Factory. It is imprinted on me, the factory on the hill. No more factory. No more hill. Grand and silent as a church. Rusted hulk like a breathing scab I couldn't help but touch. Those powder hills and slag heaps We raced bikes over, raising dust. DuPont dismantled the smelter brick by brick, then brought down the shell. Cadmium, arsenic, lead. Shadow plant rooting down like a dark star, black-holing the whole town. All night, the ghost factory is awake, making new ghosts. Somewhere, 
Someone else will do this for even less. Now wind rakes the reclaimed site, each grass blade blazing, and a family pulls from the creek fish no one should eat. Thanks, Ryan. I've got to say, you've, you've really got away with endings. Oh. <laughs> like, lovely endings. Well, th- thank you. I, I sometimes have the challenge to think of uh, getting to where I think is an ending and then writing another stanza, which I learned from my teacher, Van Jordan. Oh, yeah, who, friend of the shout show. Shout out to Van. Yeah, yeah. yeah hey, who Van. is back in Ann Arbor now, I understand. <laughs> um, he, he was my first poetry teacher in, in undergrad at, at Warren, Warren Wilson. Wilson. Yeah. Oh. And that was one thing he had shared with us that has, has really stuck uh, with me was thinking about um, endings and, and, and sometimes not landing so perfectly uh, mm. where you then are satisfied and everything's tied up. But, well, okay, what's the next line? And, you know, maybe you go back and you end up ending in that first spot, but it's a challenge to keep going. So I don't know. It's working. I'm glad you say it's that. It's working, I mean, it's, Ryan. What yeah. A <laughs> yeah. It's so many. Like, there's a moment, too, where I wasn't even expecting it at all, which is so lovely mm. uh, for poems where suddenly there's like a, you're you're on a hike with uh, or the or there's folks on a hike a father son and and mm. at mm-hmm. the end it's like the the boy turns into the fish in the river mm. there's like really lovely um um these moments that you create um so let's talk a moment about process and then get back yeah. to um subject matter sure. um cuz so you've been writing seriously it sounds like mm-hmm. since undergrad or what's what's yeah. your story were you writing when you were a little it. boy or yeah. uh yeah i wonder we all have like that origin story let's hear it <laughs> i don't i think yes as a as a writer i think that didn't happen until i was an undergrad at warren wilson where they have this terrific low residency mfa program that's you know legendary um and i realized by sticking around and working over the winter and summer breaks, um, all of those lectures and readings are free and open to the public. And so I realized, like, here was a gathering twice a year of serious adults who were committed to to writing um, and to literature. And I thought, oh, yeah, you know, you can really do that. So I kind of... I was drawn to writing so in high pulled. school, yeah. But it was really being there, and then having um, a few of the you know faculty being kind enough to, you know, not just let us sit in, but but talk to us. <laughs> um, so that that really turned it on for me, um, and opened the door. Um, though I also remember in middle school we had you know reading class. Um, and I had this teacher, Tammy Lipscomb, who uh, had us all memorize um, a Frost poem. I'm not going to remember which one it was. I, it probably was like The Road Not Taken. But or she, Stopping she would, in the Woods. <laughs> she would have us come up individually to her desk, you know. And each, each of us, each student had to recite it to her. And she probably said the same thing to every child as, as a great teacher would. But when I was done, she said, oh, that's just so beautiful. You you should really have poetry be a part of your life, don't you think? <laughs> and I've, to me, something probably a seed was planted. I think, but again, I think she probably said that to everybody. Maybe <laughs> but that's, not. Maybe but that's not. a good thing to do. Yeah. There's no harm if you say that oh to my every gosh. every student. You know? Yeah. That would be that would be really uh, lovely. Let's, Ryan. In fact, I think you should say yeah. it again to everyone yeah. out there. Just. <laughs> <laughs> you should have poetry in your life. It, it's really lovely. 
It's yeah. true. And, it's, and it seems it's already part of you, right? That's yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think in middle school, because it could be so, 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 I don't know, scary uh, to Horrifying. To, yeah. <laughs> that was a rough time. Otherwise, there was that moment. <laughs> it was a rough time. Yeah. You're not like middle school wasn't all rainbows and butterflies. No. no. Oh, goodness. No. no. So, when, and when you went to undergrad, though, so you had these, this, you were obviously they're taking the writing classes that were available because it was mm-hmm. something that was already starting f- for you, like yeah. germination. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then did, is it something that you just did? Cause you have your journal here on the table with us. Oh and, yeah. And I know for like now, take notes. <laughs> well, well, when we were like back in 2011, I yeah. think that yeah. um, when I was there with you all at Nelp, um, like journals were such a big thing. And, and this yeah. is like, just seems organic. Like it's part of who you are it's even like a i don't know it's, it's like it's a my symbol appendage. here i think it's what other yeah. people other people bring their phones their device everywhere yes. um and i have a phone but it's it's in a bag somewhere um the the journal yeah i keep that closer um for good reason it's my everything book um it's my brain it's like externalized mind right mind on the page and it was it was as an undergrad that I um, actually came up to Ann Arbor for the first time as a guest student to attend the New England Literature Program in 2002. Yeah, 2002 um, as a student at NELP. So I was a non-U of M student um, doing that program. And it, it was amazing, obviously, because I came back two years later and, and taught in that program for eight years. Uh, it changed my life um, and in a lot of ways, and especially how I think of myself as a writer and thinker, um, as a teacher. Um, but yeah, the journal as a process, as a living thing, um, as a way to put everything, not just the draft of a poem, but maybe um, a first draft of a letter to a friend or the grocery list. Um, also just responses to what I'm reading, um, that continues even when I feel like I'm in a bit of a drought and not writing poems, um, that I'm, you know, sending off to some friends to look at, I still have the journal at least. So that's, that's a base layer, uh, practice. That's, that's maybe the one discipline I, I can keep faithfully. <laughs> and because it almost feels like it's not even a discipline anymore. It's just part of you. Yeah. It's a habit. I think that's more of a habit. Yeah. yeah. And, and this one that you have, is this, um, a typical what it looks almost as if you built it did you yeah i actually just sewed these pages this one together over the last weekend um which uh i learned a lot at bessenberg bindery which used to be up the street on fifth avenue i used to work there um really wonderful um book preservation shop uh that's since moved on but um yeah this particular leather journal I, i picked up in in venice actually about 20 years ago and i just keep reusing it it's my only journal i just keep cutting the pages out when they're full and and then sewing new ones back in i bought one box of watercolor paper from like Dick Blick art supplies. And it just keeps me going. Oh my gosh. I will. Okay. So I'll, I'll definitely take a, I'll take a photo of it if you don't mind. Uh, And I'll put it on Instagram so everyone can see this. This is, it's beautiful. And you can actually feel like the leather. It feels like a being. It's durable though. I mean, I, I guess it's beautiful. I think there was a time in Early in high school, maybe I'd be intimidated by a little book like that, but like, oh, what to put on the blank page? Right. Um, but it's uh, it's very practical. The watercolor paper is good in the rain, and you know the leather keeps it pretty waterproof altogether. And it's it's certainly taken its share of scratches and bumps. And- yeah, and you, and you've got like four um, discrete like notebooks within yeah, the one. Yeah, fascicles. 
Oh, fascicles. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some some book book binding. <laughs> this is great. Um, okay, so um, well, you know what? Let's. I want to talk about West Virginia, but yeah. let's 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 go to break and then we'll come back and we'll talk West Sounds Virginia. Good. Okay. Uh, today on the program, Ryan Walsh is here. His book of poems, Reckonings, out with Baobab Press. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers, and we'll be back. West Virginia, oh my home. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. And if you're just tuning in, I'm so glad you did. Today on the program, Ryan Walsh is here. Reckonings, the book on the table with us out with Baobab Press. Um, Ryan, thanks for picking the songs for today. Could Yeah. Could you tell us about this one? Oh, yeah. That's that's a great one from Hazel Dickens uh, and Alice Gerard. Um, I, you know, I'm just so drawn to the, the old time music and, and bluegrass and uh, just the music of the mountains like it's just part of where i grew up who i am and i think uh pretty uh, rather universal to that region anyway is this uh really strong kinship to land which i think is no different than than the way michiganders attach themselves to the lakes and you know it just uh it's it's in you um and so I think West Virginia is a place, uh, you know, where I grew up, where my family on both sides have their roots, um, but which I left some many years ago, um, a lifetime ago, and and have never um, returned in terms of living. Um, but I never stopped thinking about it. It's a, it's a place that's. Uh, uh, it's a place to break your heart. I like I kind of say um, both because of its beauty, just like rugged wilderness, beautiful mountain streams, um, beautiful people and small towns and like resilient communities. Um, but also a place to break your heart for um, tragedies and exploitation, um, pollution, um, just you know, opioid crisis, so many things um, that are heightened there, poverty. And, and, and that's been the story for, you know, basically um, before the state became a state um, in terms of exploitation. Um, yes, I, there, I think it was actually, oh, yeah, uh, page 24, New River, that was... I think that was the one moment that you mention opioids directly in the book, but it is um, in uh, Silica ooh, by Tuminius Cole. Mm-hmm. Is that close enough? Opioids yeah. extraction and injection. Yeah, this... I don't know. Do you mind reading New River since we're here? Sure, not at all. Not and, at all. Um, New River. 
West Virginia dug at its veins until something dark emerged. A shadow that stained the hands, smudged the sky, burst the slurry dam in our minds. Silica, bituminous coal, opioids, extraction and injection. Suspended in air, you can run a hand along the rusty rail and look down. Beneath the bridge, the new river, like a cold zipper. One night in May, your brother zipped himself into a black bag. Your blue Honda ditched at the lot at the overlook. Hands felt the rail, frog choruses in the distance. Will, you left the bridge, became part of the air, part of the crazed, foaming river. I can still picture your hands worrying the blue beads of a rosary in the pew next to me. We confessed we believed in all that is seen and unseen. You are now river, cold stone and muttering rapids, and there is no putting this darkness back underground. Thanks, Ryan. That was another like part where I was like, what an ending. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, and if you don't know, uh, William Brewer, great, great poet also from West Virginia has a, a whole collection uh, of poems, um, from milkweed editions that is just, um, you know, cover to cover, uh, exploring and investigating the opioid crisis. Um, I think he had a personal connection to someone, or at least it, it certainly feels that way from the intimacy of the poems. Um, I'm blanking on the title of that book. It's such an excellent and beautiful book. It was National Poetry Series just a few years ago. Um, but I think if, if listeners, readers would like to, you know, uh, explore more uh, on that end, I'd certainly recommend William Brewer and his work. In in the notes, uh, Ryan, you mentioned that these are like not necessarily people. It's like often an amalgamation of several people, mm -hmm. or but is this one that feels like it's more coming from the stories you know, or that your uncle Tom um, had told you, or are, or is this from your life, or is this? No, this is more of like yeah, radio antenna catching things, overhearing stories, and and not at all derived from any particular person I know or um, you know uh, deep experience, but certainly uh, rooted in the reality of the place and the fact that um, the New River is uh, you know one of the oldest rivers in the world actually, and has a huge uh, suspension arch bridge over it and uh, attracts people to to you know leap uh, into the canyon. Um, unfortunately, they, but they also have a more celebratory bridge day and they do bungee jumping and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's an interesting symbol, yeah. um, to say the least, but so there's, you know, that's a real place. Um, and there are real people who've, who've suffered, um, for sure. So, and it's interesting cause to me, not knowing that new river is actually like the, the place itself, mm -hmm. it just seemed like the river had changed because of this too yeah. or so. Well, yeah, and it must, you know, right. <laughs> yeah. It must. Um, yeah. So Spelter, West Virginia, um, the next poem actually unincorporated. Mm -hmm. Um, let's, let's talk about this. Yeah. So you said that you haven't returned to, is your family still there, Ryan? I do. Or? I have, yeah, I still have an aunt and uncle and a cousin who, who live there. Um, but really the town, um, 
I ceased visiting when my grandmother left the house where she had been for so long to go into uh, hospice care and all, and she's passed away a few years ago. I'm but um, it's it, the town existed because of the plant. Like it's one of those cases where like the houses literally wouldn't be there except that the zinc plant was there, and it was a town of many immigrants, uh, a lot of people from Asturias, which is a section of northern Spain, um, not far from Bayoba. Um, oh, I don't. Oh, I'll, I'll sound like a fool. Barcelona? No. Or no. Ba- ba- Balboa. Balboa? Is that a town of Spain? I should have my map out. But (laughs) it's a northern Spanish community uh, where there is zinc uh, mined, I believe. And so there were people who were very familiar with the processes of smelting it as well. And and the town, um, it was basically a very small, mostly Catholic uh, town. There was the one little church. And basically people were uh, of Italian uh, heritage or um, Asturian Spanish um, ancestry or Irish. And that was our family. Um, but it was it was a very tight knit community um, for a number of years, like like so many small towns, I guess, in the early twentieth century. Um, and then uh, you know the plant shuttered one night, I think, kind of overnight in the set early seventies, and a lot of zinc um, smelting went overseas, just sort of all at once, um, because that's what made sense economically uh, for the owners, anyway. And um, and that was that. And then it's been uh, kind of a it was sat as an eyesore and a looming, rusting hulk over our town, my my childhood. Um, and then it was finally like raised and capped and everything. But uh, I think in in maybe ten, twelve years ago, a resident was walking her dog along the river, and even though the site had been remediated and every everybody was told, oh, well, this is all now done, and it was basically a grassy knoll behind fencing. Um, this woman um, saw weird oozings coming out of the ground into the water and and contacted the department of environmental protection and they looked into it and sure enough like it had not been capped properly and so the toxins were oozing out and this led to a big uh, lawsuit against dupont that um, the town that the citizens actually won and at the time it was the the largest settlement uh, uh, uh rule against dupont it was 380 Two million, I think, um, the yes. verdict for damages. Um, although later that was all very much knocked down uh, to a settlement of, of much, much less that it just involved some uh, uh, maybe a couple hundred dollars per person and medical monitoring uh, for a period of years. But um, that was just to see if you have any kind of cancers or other ailments that are associated with exposures to cadmium, arsenic, lead, zinc. Um, but if they find it, you know, you're on your own to have the coverage, you know, to have health care. That doesn't monitoring is that doesn't make any sense then. So what was the, well, then what was the big win then for three eighty three hundred eighty two million if it isn't what DuPont had to pay at all? Yeah. Well, the the then governor who's uh, since become the senator, uh, one of the senators of the state, uh, Joe Manchin, I think was personally involved in talking that down and getting the 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 settlement uh, to happen. So it was really interesting case, uh, kind of unprecedented. The New York Times even wrote about it because it was uh, such unprecedented um, involvement of a sitting governor getting involved in a a private case like this between a town and a public health, uh, very slow and quiet kind of health emergency um, and a major corporation. So, you know, that's sadly the way things go. I hope we don't have to keep saying that, Ryan. Yeah. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, 
um, because I did when I was reading the notes section, because you have mm. this documented um, in the back of the book, um, in, in the back of reckonings. Um, you do you you have to you say for yourself and your family any effects. It just it makes me think like is in the book it feels like the narrator is as ready to leave as soon as possible. Hmm. Um, but do you feel like it's something? I don't know. That's still because you you were living in a place where this was your mm -hmm. environment. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I feel like I wondered if part of the reason for writing reckonings mm -hmm. and including these spelter West Virginia poems is because of like some, like and also environmental justice, like, yeah. like to document it, but to tell the story that you have, because that's where you lived and you have a responsibility it, exactly. to that yeah. story. So you've, you've nailed it. Um, it was a way to write about something that's always on my mind, but, um, at the time living in Northern Vermont, which, you know, surprisingly also has its environmental issues that Lake Champlain, um, you know, has a lot of farm runoff that uh, is creating algal blooms that kill oh, off no. life in the lake. But I, you know, I, I wasn't, I, that wasn't quite my home. You know, I, it was more of wanting to go back to a place where I had direct connection and, um, you know, saw firsthand just like what was going on. So yeah, there, that's, that's the impetus is the environmental justice side and, and thinking too about just the, um, uh, not 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 even the human justice side, but then just the non-human world. Like I don't, you would never want to fish in the West Fork River, um, which sadly the West Fork uh, is one of the main tributaries that forms the Monongahela, which now flows through you know Pittsburgh, where I live now and make my home. So it's like I'm all, I'm back to the same kind of river, much more in, industrial um, setting there with a whole other set of um, environmental problems like. For us, it's mostly air quality in Pittsburgh with the steel plants still, um, you know, constantly violating air emissions um, standards and, and really getting very minimal fines for that and not much else happening. Um, but that affects the public health of a city of, you know, a metro region of about a million people. So is that like, are those, when you're walking around Pittsburgh now, um, and how long have you, have, how long have you uh, been we, there? About three years. Three years. Yeah, so three it's, years this, it is August. home now. Yeah. It's oh, like absolutely. you're feeling connected yeah. to it. We right? just it's bought like... our house, our first house, and <laughs> so have our garden great. there. Yeah. And, yeah, there's a lot to love about it. I love I love Pittsburgh and feel we feel at home there. Um, but there's always things to work on. And so I think working on your uh, your own backyard and like your own community makes sense to me um, rather than going off to, to maybe pick a fight somewhere else. And when you're writing in the journal now... Um, Ryan, when you're, uh, are these like some of the observations, how, because you're in more of a, a city, uh, mm -hmm. like scape these last three years than yeah. you have been, obviously, I imagine from the Vermont, um, studio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's it like? Cause I definitely picture you how I know you is from Nelp. <laughs> so I picture you in nature. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Pittsburgh is a lovely place. And though I don't see mountains on the horizon, they're not far away. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, we live very close to a 670 acre forest, which is Frick Park. So Pittsburgh has some really great amenities, including that kind of uh, forested area, which has really helped uh, me feel at home there. So our, our house is just uh, a block away from the park. And that's really an anchor for us uh, both for me and for Katie. 
Well, so what, what sort of, um, observations, like, are there things that you're, you're starting to see, um, bubble up in the journal that you feel like Mm. are threads? Like, do you have, um, yeah, what are, I I think lately I've been thinking about, um, daily delights, you know, inspired by Ross Gay's awesome, important, beautiful book, uh, the book of delights and thinking about, um, paying attention like that in my own life um, and really uh, wanting to read more odes and wanting to write more odes. So I think that's uh, something I've noticed. And and in my, you know, day-to-day work with urban gardens, urban agriculture throughout the city, um, with Grow Pittsburgh, which is a nonprofit, um, I, I really get inspired daily, too, by just what I'm seeing happening, that people are growing and investing in spaces, whether it's a vacant lot or their backyard um, or their school. Uh, to to grow things and to nurture um, life, and so I think that that's really something that's it's vital. So, grow Pittsburgh. What what is that? Oh, it, it, well, a little plug. Yes, us. please. We're a nonprofit organization dedicated to teaching people how to grow food and promoting the benefits that gardens bring to neighborhoods. So it's it's very local. We we only work in Pittsburgh and Allegheny County, um, but we work with schools, we work with community groups and neighborhood organizations, and with backyard uh, gardeners. So we really try to cover the bases there. Grow Pittsburgh. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, yeah. today on Living Writers, Ryan Walsh is here. Reckonings, his book of poems, out with Baobab Press. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers, and we'll be back. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Ryan Walsh is here. His book of poems, Reckonings, out with Baobab Press um, this year. Um, Ryan, thanks so much for coming down to the studio. And Oh my goodness, my pleasure. Uh, it's, it's, thanks for having me. And for choosing the songs for today's program, too. Well, again, I, I don't know any writer that wouldn't be thrilled by that kind of assignment. Pick four songs to play during the breaks. <laughs> Um, awesome sure okay and could you say a little bit about what we just heard too oh that was the carter family um i wasn't paying attention so much to which song i think it was the river of jordan uh oh yes you know just uh i i feel like 
the Carter family and that era of music is maybe the only religion I have. Like, it's very, I think they use a language that's very, like, I mean, they were, I guess, would say they were practicing Christians um, of some sort. Um, but I, it, for some reason, that language in the music never turns me off. I'm just drawn into it. I just want to bathe in those rivers, you know, again, of of uh, that sound. It's really, it's like a more of a, a poetry thing for me. Poetry, too, it feels like a, a higher experience. Uh, and it feels like maybe, is it, because I love the sound, too, but I also know I came to hear it, like, definitely later in life, probably not even in high school, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But for you, was it some like no, I said, it was much later. Was, oh, it, it was, was too. Yeah, okay, it, was, it, it actually took going to college in Asheville, okay. North Carolina, before, and that was right around the time of like "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou" coming out. And I think there was just a, a sudden surge more popularly in in the interest of these, you know, thoroughly American music traditions. Um, and and I thought, yeah, this this feels like home, even though. Mm-hmm. We didn't like listen to this at home. <laughs> the yeah. spirit of home, the spirit somehow. Of the spirit yeah. of yeah, home. Exactly. So, uh. so we well, we've been talking uh, about current projects and also connecting. Mm. Well, Thoreau is in this book, so we've talked about Nelp. We've yeah. kind of been yeah. talking our way around <laughs> quite a few things, just like Reckonings does, like threading multiple different parts together. Um, and he was a robust journaler too. I will I will never meet yes. that kind of <clears throat> productivity, even though he lived a very short life. <laughs> His journal <laughs> can take a lifetime to read through, you know. That unless yeah. unless you're wait, unless unless you're in, in Nelp and then you must read it. Well quickly. Well, maybe you could skim yeah. some of it. Yeah. Uh, at least on Walden Pond. <laughs> yeah. Or, certainly. Or Walden. Walden. Yeah, Walden. Um so uh let's see. So we've got We've got a bit of time left. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's return to your poems here in Reckonings. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you um, do? You want to let's let's read the pines, Ryan, and we'll go from Great. there. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> it's the last poem in the book. I'll just say, but um, is there? Could you say like is there like why did you decide that this would be? It felt like the right tone i guess yeah i i'm interested that you said i'm good at endings with, with at least that one poem <laughs> so thank no, you across multiple uh this was where i really sought the guidance of the editors uh my editors to to help figure out sequence and order um i had a rough you know skeleton sketch um but in terms of the ending i i felt like i i knew which poem would work but um it actually ended up not being the one, so which is which is great because I, I like the the kind of tone here. Um, which poem had you thought? I, I right? thought about the field, which ends with a backward, oh. like looking back at home, and it's a baseball poem, and there's oh, this yeah. sort of uh, uh, you know maybe maybe heavy-handed <laughs> thought about the imagery of home and, and uh, returning or not returning and how far it feels. But um, right. I, I yeah, I felt like the pines, which is part of a very uh, a little trio of poems that make up the Reckoner um, chapbook um, that all have more to do with um, technology in some ways and friendships and um, this idea of connection and whether like technology actually helps us connect more to each other or or really distances us. Um, you know that anyway. It, it concludes that series, and I felt like, well, this is more the direction I'm drawn to right now, and 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 uh, 
there's just I, I'll read it. So it, well, maybe it's self-evident in a way of why it might be the last one. I don't know. That, that would be that would be lovely. It, you were mentioning at the break during the break, Ryan, too, that you're um, being drawn to the odes and things that are positive and friendship. Yeah, and yeah. you you were reading a book right now um, about the friendship of Thoreau and Emerson. Right. It's a, it's a really great biography if one wants to nerd out on American Renaissance uh, times. It's uh, yeah, Emerson and Thoreau's. Um, it's by Jeffrey Kramer. I won't think of the title just offhand. Maybe it's the you know friendship of Thoreau and Emerson. It's drawing from their journals and their letters, their correspondences, um, to really construct a, a, almost a biography of that friendship, which was so important to American letters um, down you know through the years. Um, that that's been on my mind. Uh, but my own friends are always on my mind. They're the people I share the work with. You know, uh, anytime I have a poem, I, I feel like it needs something. I, I will send it to to various friends. And you have a poetry family that you thank in here. Yes, my well. my tribe. I mean, I think we all have that. Yes. Like, I don't know of the truly solitary writer who just uh, scribbles it out alone. And you know, because even that person is reading, and that, that your community might only be the writers you know through the page, but that's still that's real that's that's alive in your imagination in your heart um and that matters uh, but i'm lucky enough to have one both on the page and out here in the world that, that we're all in um and that we get to spend time with each other is always so good it is, it is. um so anyway the the pines the pines when the last satellite blinks out we'll be left with only stars again the bare sky and language, our friends, old stories and recitations. Where do we go when we go dark? We collect ourselves among the trees, groping a little with our feet along the logging roads, skylighted by broken crowns. To earth again, little bivouac we dreamed by the lake. I was born of the water into light, just like you. The pines were born of fire. Some of them were crucified in creosote, strung up for long-distance utility. Even with all night forever, all is never lost. While hurt patrols the hollowed veins of our once cities, our memories, our hearts will engine what can be kept of us. Your hand in mine, a blessing. Tall pines drink the wind, hold steady in its paws. There is another world, and it's inside this one. Before we became data, each of us a garden, the inch of dirt that keeps us human. Sisters, are you ready? Brothers, ready to go home? We'll gather like New Day monks or moths, a fire between us. Each heart-warm friend, we reckon them one by one. Each name, a bead in the bracelet. Each arrival, a thanksgiving. In the face of the lake, stars make replicas of themselves, forgetting our names for them. So we can all begin, tender as children, making a new life in the trees. Thanks, Ryan. 
Oh, thanks for having me read <laughs> a few poems. So making <clears throat> a new life in the trees. Yeah, I, well, I think about uh, hope, right? Like, well, not even hope, because hope sort of takes uh, agency out of things in a way. It's like, oh, let's let's hope something will happen. Um, but I, you know, I read this really moving interview in Orion magazine about eleven years ago between um, Timothy De Christopher, who's a, a uh, an activist, environmental activist, um, who spent time in, in prison, and Terry Tempest Williams. And um, in that, you know, like they brought up just the bleak reality of the science, I guess, of climate change and just what, you know, how we're already past certain thresholds and certain terrible things are just happening and will happen. Um, but, but he, uh, you know, was trying to look on the brighter side, which is like, well, like there's all these failed systems that, that are got, have gotten us here. And like, maybe the upside is when these systems are, are just go away, fall apart, um, are, are they'll, they'll, something else will replace them. And maybe it's something that can be really positive and good and life-giving. And so I try to like operate in that sphere. And I think that's, that's why I love gardening. Like it's just such this simple and radical act that connects you to the earth directly and that you can literally feed yourself and your family and your friends with. Um, so I don't, I find, you know, in, in poetry, of course, ties into all of this. I, I, I feel like that feeds us as well. Cause it's, maybe it's the moment that gives you the space to be, have the awareness of it because of mm -hmm. thinking in poems or the lines or, or however poems come to you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, or even the hard work of it, because they don't always mm -hmm. come, do they? Oh, no, it's always. <laughs> well, you know, ins inspiration's better if it knows where to find you, I guess, is an old a saying from someone, not me. Going back uh, to the journal, to the Ryan. Yeah, just be at the desk. Uh, yeah, or have your journal with you on the road. <laughs> that's right. Or, or, or have, like, friends who hold you accountable. Like, there's the grind that's out there uh, and other things like that. I, I, where, you know, you're writing daily. Um, for two years, I have, I have two wonderful writer friends, uh, Curtis Bauer and Sebastian. Sebastian Matthews. And for two years, we wrote to each other every single day. Um, and we just called it like our morning lines. It was never anything um, huge. You know, sometimes it would be a whole poem, sometimes just a few words, a few thoughts. Uh, but we kept up that practice um, so that even when I would be like, we would all be traveling in other, other places. But at NELP, where we had no devices, no email, um, no phones, um, I would just write them on postcards and then send them to them both. So I'd write, write one, copy it, then mail the two each day before, uh, before breakfast. And that sort of, um, that led to a lot of good things for the three of us, uh, in terms of actual poems and, and whole collections and, um, really, uh, was hugely <laughs> beneficial. It so. seems like it could also be the three of you could have them intersecting in a, a book too. Yeah. We've, you know, we've, we've published a couple of threads oh, here and there. That, yeah. In journals. Yeah. Well that, I love that. That's like you're, we're ending on something like even an idea. <laughs> yeah. To, right. <laughs> um, Ryan, thanks for talking today. Coming oh my gosh. Down to the Thank studio you. And, Thank and you. Come back anytime. Yeah. Um, what a delight. Today on the program, Ryan Walsh, his book Reckonings out with Baobab Press now. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to Gina for engineering. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time.
WCBN is preempting our regular programming to bring you this special U of M sports event on our radio broadcast. You can still hear our regular programs by going to our website, wcbn.org, and selecting an MP3 stream. Hello and welcome to the Daily Sports Report on this rainy Wednesday. My name is Owen Swanson. Today I'm joined by by Neil Sinha, Noah Cotre, and Charlie Brigham. How are you guys doing today? How are you guys doing today? I can't hear anything. 